me to Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9. Easy to find. It's in the Old Testament. It's actually between Genesis and Malachi. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came down from the presence of God. The glory of God came and fire came down from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Now I want you to go back three chapters to Leviticus chapter 6, starting with verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning. Then the fire must be kept burning on the altar. And the priest shall then put on his linen cloths and with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. Then the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. And every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously It must not go out. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would touch us, speak to us today, God. Every one of us in this room, God, we ask that you would touch our hearts, Lord. Bring us closer, Lord. Make us understand more. Help us be a a burning light for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Now, this morning, I want to begin a brand new series entitled Lost. Some things get lost along the way. And as I've been praying and fasting and seeking God for the last several weeks, I really felt like God wanted me to to preach a series of messages that are rather strong. I want to warn you from the beginning, the outset of these messages, this is not for the faint-hearted. This is not for somebody who wants to coast into heaven. This is not somebody who wants to live a lukewarm life. This is not somebody who wants to hide their Christianity in the closet. This is not for somebody who thinks that they can do whatever they want and still live in the kingdom of God. This is for people who intend to be honest with themselves. This sermon series is for people that intend to be honest with God. This sermon series is intended for people who want God to do something great in their life. Now, please, understand something. God loves us and we're saved by grace. And grace is God giving us what we need when we need it, even though we don't deserve it. We are saved and we're going to heaven by grace. But I I want you to know today that I've seen a, a pattern in the church. I've seen a cyclical pattern in the church where the church goes uh, through extremes. They they embrace extremes in the church. And, And there was a time when there was an extreme teaching of the holiness. 
living holy for God. And, and I remember as a kid, man, that if, if you looked at somebody the wrong way, if you said something the wrong way, if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, you were going to hell. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you were saved by grace, but boy, oh boy, you had to do a whole lot to keep you in the kingdom of God. And so we'd go to extremes, you know, the church seems to go to extremes. And, and I think today, because of the extreme of holiness or the holiness movement where we had to make it happen, we, we've gone all the way to the other extreme where we're saved by grace and there's no responsibility that we have. It's all about grace, and, and the message of grace is a powerful message. I remember when the church was going through a message of faith, where everybody was talking about faith, believing God, and there was the charismatic movement, and there was this movement, and that movement, and today we've got a grace movement, and for the, for the most part, I, I believe it's a powerful movement, and I'm so glad that we understand that we're saved by grace. But I'm afraid that we've lost something along the way. I'm afraid that we've lost the understanding that we've still got some responsibility in the kingdom of God. That God is the author of our faith and God is the one who both wills and does of his good pleasure in our life. And we cling to the mercy and we cling to the grace of God every day of my life and every day of your life. But the Bible also tells us that even though we're saved by grace that we need to live a vigilant life. That we need to be vigilant and sober because the enemy is like a roaring lion and he seeks whom he may devour. And the Bible tells us that we're to put on righteousness and that we're to live a holy and righteous life. Yes, we're to cry out to God because God's the one who does the work inside of us. But we still have a free will and we still have to go to God and say, God, I want you to do these things in, our, in my life. And we need to surrender to the will and to the power of God in our life. We need to stay alert, as the Bible tells us. And Jesus says we need to stay awake because if we fall asleep, we're going to succumb to temptation in our life. And you see, I'm really afraid that in the midst of some, so many pastors and Christian leaders focusing so much on grace and so much on God's love, focusing so much on God's part in our salvation, that the church today has lost the understanding of our responsibility along the way. And I realize that the church tends to live in these extremes. And, that, and, and so here we are today talking about balancing it out, understanding that we are saved by grace and we are kept by grace. And it's a work of the spirit in our life but God still wants us to surrender our lives to God as we as the word of God says we bring our lives to God as a holy sacrifice holy and acceptable unto the Lord we bring ourselves to God and he does the work somebody say amen so in the process of life sometimes in the process of being a Christian some things get lost along the way and in fact in Revelation we find that Jesus actually, and, and the book of Revelation is a, re, a revelation of Jesus. And in the book of Revelation 1, 2, and 3, we find, chapters 1, 2, and 3, we find that Jesus is bringing stern correction to his church. He said, because I love you so much, I bring correction. Aren't you glad that God brings correction in our life? That he loves us, and as a result of that, he brings correction. He says, you're going off. You've lost something. And so because Jesus loves us and because he cares about us, he's going to tell us the truth. Aren't you glad that Jesus tells us the truth? That he tells us the truth. Aren't you glad that you have pastors that tell us the truth? Come on, somebody. And Jesus tells us the truth. 
And in Revelations chapter 1, 2, and 3, Jesus is saying, if you don't get these things right, I'm going to come and remove my candlestick from among you. I'm going to remove my presence from you. And you know, the truth of the matter is there's some churches they can go through uh, jumping up and down and singing and shouting and praying, and the presence of God is not even there. And that's a sad thing. God forbid that it should ever be said of Bethlehem Assembly of God when we get to heaven. Man, you had a good party, but I wasn't even there. So Jesus said, I'm going to remove my candlestick if you don't get this right. I'm going to, I, the Bible says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, Jesus said. I'm going to come like a thief, and you're not even, even going to know the time that I've come because you're going to be so busy being religious that you're going to lose the understanding, the passion of God in your life. And, and I'm going to say, depart from me because I didn't even know you. I'm going to rebuke you greatly and bring correction because I love you greatly. And in Revelation chapter 3, we find that Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. And along the way, the church at Laodicea, they lost something that was so vital to them. I want you to look with me at Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. To the angel of the church at Laodicea, to the pastor. That's what the angel was there. He's saying, to the pastor of the church, I'm telling you something, and I want you to convey it to the people. And I believe that when we pray and fast as men of God and women of God, as leaders of God, as we say, God, give me a word from heaven, I got to tell you that I really believe with all my heart that God gave me a word for you, that in my prayer closet, Jesus spoke to me and said, this is what I want you to tell the church, to the angel of the church at Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds. I know what you do, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, now the word spit there is actually way, way too moderate. Because the real word in the Greek is, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't want to get gross, but there's one thing to spit. There's another thing to vomit. And Jesus said, you've become so distasteful to me that you're at the point where I'm, I, I'm ready to vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. That's a strong rebuke to his people whom the Lord loves. He disciplines. And the reason why is because you say that I'm rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you don't realize how wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked you are. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you would become really rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover the shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I correct, I rebuke, and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, and I stand at the door, and I knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me at my right throne, just as I have was victorious and sat down at my father's throne. Whoever has ears let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Oh, God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. God, help us not to, not to close our hearts and our ears to the, what you're saying to the church today. And so Jesus says to this church, you have lost something very important. You have lost your intensity. 
You've lost your passion. You've lost your effectiveness to be a witness. You've lost your wholehearted dependency on me. You've become indifferent. Everybody say indifferent. You see, the sin of this church was that they had become indifferent. Indifferent to the gospel, indifferent to the lost, indifferent in worship, indifferent to the word, indifferent to the presence of God, indifferent to the understanding that they were lost and they were on their way to hell. And Jesus came and died on the cross for their sin so that they might have everlasting life. They just became indifferent. It was whole hum. It was like, oh, yeah, we're taking communion. Big deal. We're singing to the Lord of, of the universe. But big deal. There's lost people in this world. But, you know, it's OK. Let's not get too radical. Did you ever meet somebody that was radical? We get, we really, you know, that word scares us, doesn't it? Because when we think radical, we think of people blowing up people. We do, we, we do. So, so even American Christians tend to want to stay kind of like, well, let's not get too crazy. Let's not, let's not talk about Jesus too much because we might offend too many people. Let's keep our Christianity to ourselves. You know, when I was 19 years old and I gave my life to Jesus, God set me on fire. I mean, set me on fire. And I remember my father-in-law, God bless him, he actually accepted the Lord recently. But my father-in-law, you know, when I, when I married my wife, my, my wife came from a Catholic background and uh, my, my wife really was religious but didn't know the Lord and we both gave our lives to Christ. I was just as religious and didn't know the Lord. So I don't care if you're Catholic, Protestant, whatever you are, you could still be religious and not know the Lord. You could be right next to the fire but not have the fire inside of you. And I remember I was set on fire for God. And my father-in-law, who really was, you know, not really interested in church or any of those things, believer of God, but I remember he, he came to me one day and he said, you are too much. <laughs> he said... You talk about God all the time. I mean, it's, all, it's, it's, it's always about God. He says, and, and, and it's everything. Your whole life is around, about God. And I said, with all due respect, Pop, listen to me. I said, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. I said, I don't, I don't understand how I can do anything less than love God with everything inside of me because the Bible said I'm to love God with my heart, all of my passion, all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, everything that I think about is consumed with the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that today at 445, I'm not going to turn on the giant game because I have moved over from the Jets to the Giants. I have, I have let them go like a bad habit. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I have got, I have been redeemed. I have been set free. I have gone to CR, Celebrate Recovery, a 12-step program, and I have shed the jets for the Giants. Come on, somebody. I'm kidding you. I, I still have a jet uh, jersey, and I'm going to wear it because I got it for free, and it was expensive, so I'm going to wear it. So don't get me wrong, I, I still love life. I love life, but God is in the center of my life. Come on, somebody. And if it doesn't violate the word, I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to love life with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. But God comes first. And unfortunately, this church had become indifferent 
to the depth of God's love. They had become indifferent to the width of God's love in their life. They had become indifferent to the gospel. And Jesus said, I know your deeds. I see what you do. And the truth is you are neither cold nor hot. In other words, you're going through the motions of being a believer. You're attending church services. You're even doing good deeds, but you're lukewarm. Something got lost along the way. At one time, you you possessed an intensity for the things of God for prayer. You, you possess an intensity for the kingdom of God. There was a passion in your heart. There was a passion in your soul. And you were not indifferent to my presence. But now you have become so affluent. You see, Laodicea was an affluent city that they had become so rich and affluent, just like an American Christian. Come on, somebody. We are rich. Listen to me. Compared to the world. I know some of you think I'm not rich at all. Compared to the rest of the world, every single person in this room is rich. Don't ever forget that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're rich. Don't ever forget that. I've traveled to some parts of the world. You're rich. Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you eaten at least one meal already? Come on, somebody. Did you eat yesterday? Did you eat yesterday? Did you get in your car? Did you drive? Did you have a bicycle? Did you have any kind of hot water, warm water? Did you have drinking water? Let's just drinking water. Did you turn on the tap? And I know you don't want to drink that water because it's too chlorinated, but you could still do that. Half the world doesn't even have drinking water. You are rich. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm rich. And the Bible said that this, this church that Jesus loved, Jesus loves his church. This church that Jesus died for. He speaks to this church in Laodicea, and he said, you have become so rich, filled with abundance, filled with wealth, filled with prominence, that over time, you have become ineffective in your witness. You've lost your intensity and your passion for Jesus. You've become indifferent to the things of God. You're just simply going through the motion. Why? He gives us the reason. He said, because you say that you are rich. He said, you say that you don't need anything. In other words, I got it figured out. And if I get sick, I've got health insurance. If I have a problem financially, I can go to the bank. I can go into my credit card. Hey, you know, let me tell you something. I visit a lot of countries around the world, and we're about to go back to, to Cuba. And I have a love relationship with Cuba. Just those people are unbelievable. And I've been there twice, and we're going, getting ready to go back. We need 10 men. We're going to build a church. In seven days, we're going to build a church in seven days. Come on. And I need 10 men to come along with us to go to Cuba. And I want you to sign up. Men, I want you to take a step of faith and say, I don't know if I have the, God will give you the finances. I want you to sign up. I want you to go on your app. And I want you to sign up because we need 10 men who are willing to build a church. Can you imagine that one day you'll be able to look back and say, I built the church in Cuba for these people that are so poor. I remember the last church that we built, that we went to the church and the pastor was so thankful. He lived in a, he literally, literally lived in a room about that size with his family. I'm talking about this side room right here, about that size. He had a couple of pews in there because every Sunday morning they had church in that little room. He was so thrilled when we put up a building. In four days, five days, we were able to put up enough of the building for them to meet inside that building with 200 people. Come on, somebody. That's exciting. And I go to Cuba. When I go to Cuba, I, I, I could see the intensity of these people. 
They, they love Jesus with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. They're willing to give their lives for the gospel, and some of them have given their lives for the gospel. They don't have a lot of money. They make about $12 to $15 a month, and yet they have a powerful intensity in the word. They have a powerful intensity in worship. They're not indifferent about anything in Cuba. I mean, they love everything. They love because they don't have a lot. So whatever they have, they do it with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. But this church in Laodicea, they had so much that they become indifferent to the things of God. Their roots didn't go really deep down. You see, back in Laodicea, it was located between actually two different cities. And so when, when, when I was growing up, and the pastor talked about this verse. He'd make it sound like, listen, here it was. I'd rather you be hot or cold, but cold was bad, hot was good. But I'd rather you either be so cold that you're going to send yourself to hell or really on fire. So on fire meant we were hot and cold meant that you were bad, but at least you know that you were bad. And at least I, 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 I can see that in you. And at least you're just in that state of unbelief. But that's not what Jesus is actually even talking about here. You see, you see, Laodicea was actually located between two cities, Hierapolis and Colossae. And in Hierapolis, there were hot springs. And so people would flock to Hierapolis because they would sit in the hot springs. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret, okay? I'm going to, um, I know this is a little uncomfortable, so don't get any pictures here, but I'm going to let you, I love taking baths. Ooh. Ooh. You know, especially after I'm shoveling snow for a couple of hours, I put on the hot water. I mean, I make it as hot. I mean, I make it so hot. I'm telling you, it's like, whoo, that's hot. And I put some Epsom salt in there. And then I turn those babies on, those jets on. You know what I'm talking about? And then I put on some worship music, soft, put on a candle, shut the light. I'm in heaven. <laughs> There's just something about a hot bath. How many, come on, be honest with you, you like a hot bath. I like, I love a hot bath. Now, ooh, love a hot bath. And there's something healing about it. I feel good. I feel good, and I know that I would when I get out of that bathtub. And when I'm really hot, <laughs> I don't want lukewarm water. I don't want a hot cup of tea when I'm hot. I want something cold. So in Hierapolis, there was hot springs, and people would flock there for the healing virtue of these hot springs. When they were hot, they would go to Colossae. Why? Because in Colossae, there was, there was cold water, crystal pure cold water. In fact, the truth is, even the cold water was healing to them. And people would literally jump into the cold water. I love going to the beach in the summertime. It's about 90 degrees, but the water's still about 75, you know, or, or even colder than that. And I love watching the people go near the water, you know, they... And then, and, and then they put their feet in the water. And then they, they walk around as if they're the center of the universe and no one can splash them. You know what I mean? Like, don't go near me. Don't splash. And, and there's only one cure to that. You got to jump in. I mean, you can't kind of just tiptoe in the water, but you've got to jump in the water. But when you jump in the water, it's like, wow, this is so incredibly refreshing. I remember when we were in Cuba, it was so hot. I mean, it was so hot that the moment I walked into the building, and the buildings actually there have tin roofs, so they're like an oven. So you walk in there, and you're roasting. 
and we'd get back to the hotel and there was a, a pool there. We weren't, we, we weren't not interested in a warm pool. We were not interested in a lukewarm pool. We were not interested in a heated pool. We wanted it cold. We'd jump in and ah, this is refreshing. And so Laodicea is actually located between, listen to me, hot and cold. They're right in the middle. And so what they did is they actually had aqueducts where they would have water transported about five miles away. But by the time it came from Hierapolis to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It was hot when it started, but when it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It was freezing cold and refreshing in Colossae, but by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And Jesus said, if we're lukewarm, he will vomit us out of our mouth, out of his mouth. And so he, really what he's talking about here is not that cold is bad and hot is good and hot is better. But he's actually just talking about indifference. That when you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot. You're neither out or in. You're neither right or wrong. You're neither for me or against me. You're neutral. Now, I got to tell you, when I get in my car and I put it in neutral, I go absolutely nowhere. I've either got to put it in reverse or I've got to put it in forward. But if I'm in neutral, I'm going nowhere. I'm going nowhere in my life when I'm neutral about the Lord. You're just existing. You're just living, but you're not living the abundant life. You're living on the fence. You're in the world and you're miserable in both places. I want to tell you something. Before I dove in and gave my heart 100% to the Lord, I was a teenager and I had to come to church because my mother made me come to church and I was miserable in both worlds. I was miserable in the church because I didn't want to be here. I was bored to death and I was miserable in the world. Why? Because I had enough knowledge of God to know that I was doing the wrong thing and the Holy Spirit kept on convicting me. So I was miserable in both worlds. And let me tell you, young person, you'll always be miserable in both worlds until you decide which world are you going to live in. Now, we know this one thing if you live in the world and you just do whatever you want to do, that's going to lead to destruction. But if you jump in and you give your life completely to Jesus, he'll turn your life into something incredible. Somebody say amen. amen. You see, you're lukewarm, and the truth is, you don't taste good to the church, and you don't taste good to the world. When you're lukewarm, you don't taste good to either world. And so either world actually spits you out, because you're just not, you're just lukewarm. And see, they had lost their intensity, their zeal. They had lost their passion, their fire. They had become simply indifferent, complacent. They thought they were okay, though. Jesus said, you said that you're rich and you've required a lot of wealth and do not need a thing. But don't you realize, don't you realize how wretched, how pitiful, how poor, how blind and naked you really are? You say that you have everything, that you, you don't need a thing. So the truth is that I, I've come to learn that one of the blaring truths that stands out in Scripture is this, that God's estimation of us is often very different from our estimation of ourselves. Let me say that again. God's estimation of us is so different than our estimation of ourselves. The truth is we could become so self-righteous, so I can become so self-reliant, so self-absorbed that I really don't even understand or really realize how wretched and poor I really am. See, right in our Christianity, we don't notice that there, there's something lacking in our life. 
Listen to me. I want to be honest with you. The American church has lost its fire. The American church has lost its passion. The American church is just going through the motions. We come to church. You know, I've been thinking, and this has really been on my mind for the last couple of weeks. How does Jesus connect to every area of my life? You know, I I can preach and I can pray in front of you and I can... I can act like I'm super spiritual, but, but how does Jesus connect to, to my life on Tuesday morning? How does Jesus connect to my life on Thursday morning? How does, how does Jesus connect to every single area of my life? How do I live out my life, my daily life, every day, glorifying God? Does Jesus really, really possess my heart to the point where that when, wherever I go, I'm a shining light. As the Bible says, you are the light of the world. And let your light so shine amongst men that they, sh- they should see your good works that, that glorify the Father so that they would glorify me as well. It's so important to understand that God puts a fire in all of us. And what we do with that fire is, 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 is really the condition of our heart. You see, they had lost their fire from God. And maybe this morning, if you would be honest with God and yourself, you lost your fire. At one time, Jesus was the most important person in your life. And your prayer life reflected that. And your intensity in worship reflected that. And your love for the lost reflected that. And your obedience to Christ and your surrender to his will for your life reflected that. And everything you did was first filtered through the God factor in your life. But now you become lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just going through the motions. You're not stirred by the word. You're not motivated by the spirit. You're not convicted by the spirit. You're not filled with the passion of God for the truth of God. And something is gone in your life. You've lost the intensity. You've lost the passion. You've lost the fire in your life. And Jesus says to you today, I've got the answer. Listen to me. Look at me. He said, come buy of me gold refined by the fire. Now you might say, how can I buy anything from Jesus? Why would Jesus, you know, I I looked at that verse. I said, why would Jesus say, come buy of me? We, We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. It's God that does the work inside of us. But why would Jesus say, come buy of me something that I can't afford? Because he wants us to get to that point in our life where we come to Jesus and we recognize we're broke, man. We don't have it. We can't do it. You see, they they were saying, I'm rich and I can just go to the mall and get whatever I, I want. But you see, when we come to Jesus and we recognize the holiness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we recognize that without God, we would die. If God took the Spirit away from us, if God left us and departed us, we would die and we would be lost and we would be bound for hell throughout all of eternity that we are desperate we have a debt that we cannot pay and we owe way too much we're way way over our credit line but I want you to know if we come to Jesus and we recognize I can't pay for it and I can't earn it and I don't deserve it and I'm broke Jesus today but I'm coming to the foot of the cross and I'm asking you for your mercy and your grace Lord I have lost my intentioning and I've lost my passion but God I'm coming to you again God will fill you for free because that's the way my God loves you hallelujah 
I love what Isaiah chapter 55 says. Everyone who is thirsty, listen, come to the waters and you will, you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you, why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? That's the American church. That's God speaking to the American church today. Why do you keep on trying to find happiness in the things that can never bring you happiness in your life? Why do you work so hard? Why do you work two jobs to get a better car? Why do you spend so much of your time trying to earn enough money so you can buy that new thing that after a little while you don't want it anymore? I mean, just, I got to tell you, Apple helps me to really understand. I, I'm thankful. I got an Apple, I've got an Apple iPad and I've got an Apple computer and I've got an Apple phone. But here's the funny thing about it. It seems like as soon as I get the Apple 5, I want the Apple 6. And when I get the Apple 6, I want the Apple 7. It's amazing how people look at me and go, you still have an Apple 5? <laughs> and I think, I think that's exactly what God is saying to the American church, why do you spend so much time? Now, I understand we have to work. And I understand we have responsibility. But I think the American church has got to the point where we're just not happy. If we don't have certain things, we're just not happy. And he's saying, why do you spend so much time? He said, listen to me carefully and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me and listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. He said, come and buy gold, listen to me, refined by the fire. Wow. By the fire, listen to me. What the church needs, again, is the fire of God. Because fire brings life. Fire brings change. Fire brings power. Fire burns away the dross and the, and the sin and brings true revival. Fire transforms the gold that we need in our life. Fire gives us holy passion. Fire consumes us and sets us on fire so the world can watch us burn like Christ. And fire sends a holy zeal for the lost. And fire brightly in our life burns so that the glory of God can be seen by the world. Fire brings holy worship. Fire brings holy praise. Fire brings power in prayer. Fire brings power in preaching. Fire breaks the chains and sets the captive free. Fire brings holy conviction to the backslider. And fire consecrates those who repent before the Lord. Somebody help me out and say amen. And the fire comes from the Holy Spirit. When you look in the Old Testament, you look in the New Testament, the fire was the Spirit. And I think that we've lost our fire, our intensity, our passion, our zeal for God. And Jesus wants to send his Holy Spirit again to fill you with a new holy fire that once again will set your life on fire. I love what one old preacher once said, John Wesley said, God set me on fire so the world can watch me burn. Set me on fire so the world can watch me burn. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than me, of whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fuego, with fire. 
And on the day of Pentecost, Jesus takes 120 lukewarm, fear-filled, backslidden, I'm going back to fishing, Peter, backslidden disciples. And he sets them on fire and he purifies their hearts and he purifies their motives and he empowers their lives. And they're never the same again. And maybe this morning you've lost your fire. And you just want to be honest. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, come and buy gold refined again with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Why do we lose our fire? Well, so often we lose our fire because we get passionate about something else in our life. They become idols to us. Sometimes we lose the fire because we go through the fire. And we don't want to go near the fire anymore because the fire has brought a lot of pain in our life. Why do we lose the fire? Because we get so busy with other stuff in our life, so occupied. But do you remember there was a time in your life when you were on fire for God? Do you remember a time when it was easy to spend time with God in prayer? It was easy to push aside other things and fast. It was easy to read the word because your heart, your soul was set on fire. Like the prophet said, if I speak not, it is like a fire shut up in my bosom. There was a fire in your soul for the things of God. When you went to work, there was a fire in your soul. You couldn't help but to speak about the goodness of the Lord to the people in your life that didn't know the fire. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, come by, go refined in the fire, surrender again to the Holy Spirit, place your life back on the altar, bring everything you are and everything you hope to be back to the altar of God and let the Holy Spirit set you on fire. I love what it says in Leviticus chapter 9. It says, then, then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them and having sacrificed the sin offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down and Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came down from the presence of God Almighty from the Lord and it consumed the burnt offering. Guess what the offering is today? Romans 12 says, bring your life before the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy you are the offering. And today, if you come before the Lord and say, here I am, God, set my heart on fire, he'll send the fire to consume the offering. But notice what they had to do. Leviticus chapter 6, the Bible says that God says to the priest, and we are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. You're the priest of God today. Guess what? God sends the fire, but you're the keeper of the fire. Leviticus chapter 6 says, and the priests were to be the keepers of the fire. And he said, don't ever let the fire go out. And I'm here to tell you today, man of God, don't let the fire go out. Keep the fire burning in your life. I love what Paul the apostle says to young Timothy. He says, young Timothy, I know you get afraid at times. And I know you want to run away from ministry. But he said to young Timothy, he said, young Timothy, fan the flame that's within you, the gift that God has given you. Fan it into flame or into fire again. What did he mean by that? Well, 
God sent his spirit to live in Timothy. He said, I, that God had not, Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Timothy was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, I want to remind you that that Holy Spirit gives you boldness. You have not received the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. He said, but you need to fan into flame that fire, that gift that God has put inside of you. What is the gift? It's the gift of the Father, that the Father sends the Holy Spirit. He said, and I will send the gift of the Father, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I will send the promise or the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will clothe you with power from on high. John the Baptist says that Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to baptize you with fire. So he says you have to keep the fire burning. How do you keep the fire burning? Well, I've got a fire pit, and I was really tempted today to bring it with me and set a fire up in this house, but I thought to myself, the fire marshal wouldn't like that very much. But I've got a fire pit in the back of my house as the worship team comes. And um, I start the fire. In your case and in God's case, when it comes to spiritual things, God starts the fire. He sends the fire and we become the keeper of the fire. We feed the fire. So I get that fire going really nice. And we're sitting around that fire and we're having a good time. It's, it's warm. It's, it's wonderful. But then I've got to, as the Bible says, I've got to go clean out the ashes and I've got to feed it with some more wood. And I'm here to tell you today that if your fire has gone out or it's about to go out, today's the moment that you need to feed the fire. How do you feed the fire? You bring it an offering. You bring yourself to God and say, God, here I am. Would you fill me again? How do you feed the fire? You feed the fire by getting back into the word. That's why we're getting back into the word and January, January 25th, I want you all to come and study the word. How do you feed the fire? You get into prayer and you stoke the fire through prayer. How do you feed the fire? You tell somebody, I've lost the fire. Would you pray for me? How do you feed the fire? You come to church. You fellowship with one another. How do you feed the fire? You feed the fire by bringing yourself to God and letting him set you on fire. And, and you, you keep on asking God, to keep on setting you on fire. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning for anyone in this room that's lost the fire, that's just going through the motions, Lord. Lord, they love you, but they've lost their intensity. And Lord, I pray that they would be earnest intense, absolutely determined, ready and diligent to run to the altar of God and repent for their state before you vomit them out of your mouth. To realize that the state of lukewarmness and compromise and half-heartedness and self-reliant religion is going to lead them down a road of losing their first love. And God, we ask you once again to reveal your state, reveal our state, restore our passion, Renew our zeal and revive our hearts and set our soul on fire. Lord, you said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Here I am and I stand at the door 
and I knock. Friend, God's knocking on your heart right now. I know some of you are going to be tempted to walk, walk out of this place and say, that was a nice sermon. That's good for somebody else. But I'm here to tell you today that there are times in my own personal life that I've got to get on my face before God and say, I've lost the fire, God. Lord, I'm preaching. Lord, I'm pastoring. I'm leading, but I've lost the fire, God. Lord, restore the fire back inside of me, oh God. And God is so faithful when I devote myself to prayer and fasting and, and I, I push away those things of the world and I, I burn the idol in the fire and I say, God, I want to be the offering. I want to be the sacrifice, a holy sacrifice. Lord, I bring myself to you. God, he sets my heart back on fire again. Maybe you're here today, this, this morning, you say, Pastor, I need that fire. I want that fire. Maybe you're on fire for God, and you say, I don't want to lose that fire. I want to I be a keeper of the fire. I don't want it to ever, ever burn out. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, you say, Pastor, I'm not certain if I die today, I'd go to heaven. I need Jesus Christ to be the Savior, the Lord of my life. Let, let me tell you something. The reason why Jesus is so intense in his wording the reason why Jesus is so bold in his rebuke, I will vomit you out of my mouth, he said, because how in the world does God, the God of the universe and beyond, how does he come down from heaven and die on the cross for us? How does he spill his own blood for us? How does he do all of that for us and then accepts us as children of God and that doesn't absolutely blow our mind? That doesn't absolutely excite us to the core. You see, you can't be indifferent when you recognize the depth of God's love. You can't be indifferent when, when you recognize what God really did for you. He, he died on the cross for your sins. God of the whole universe came down from heaven. Man, that should set your soul on fire. That should give you enough energy to share your faith with people that don't know the Lord, that should move you in such a way that you will worship the Father, the Son, and the Spirit with absolute passion, with not indifference, but with absolute fired-up passion. But you say to me, Pastor, I don't even know if I died today. I need Jesus to come into my heart and my life. I need God to forgive me of my sins. I want you to raise your hands right now. I want to pray for you right now. Anybody in this place, just raise your hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Others here, I need to get right with God today. I'm, I can't play church anymore. I want you to raise your hands. Anybody else? God bless you. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Those that are raising their hands, I'm going to step down from this platform. If you raised your hand, I want to shake your hand. I want to give you a hug, and I want to pray over you today if that's you. And some of you raised your hand today. I want to pray for you personally. I want to pray for you, and I want to give you some information. I want everybody else, everyone in this room, I want you to just stand with me right now. Would you please stand? And I want, I want you to sing this simple song with me today. And I want to actually build it up. I want to start it. As we sing this song, I want to, I want to sing it softly. But then I want, it, I want it to build up in your heart. And if that's you today and you say, Pastor Steve, you talk to me today. To be honest with you, Pastor Steve, I've been in the church a long time. And there was a time in my life where God was the center of everything in my life. And there was a time when the church and the people of God and the community of God were, were, were first 
took first place over everything else. But now I'm just kind of going through the motions. I, I put my hour and a half in on a Sunday morning, but Jesus is not really connected to every part of my life. I've lost the fire. That's between you and God today. That's between you and God today. But you know who, who I'm talking to today. But God wants to restore that passion in your life. Hallelujah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Set a fire down in my soul. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. Oh, we want more Set a fire down in my soul That I can't contain, that I can't control I want more of you, God I want more of you, God Set a fire down in my soul That I can't contain, that I can't control I want more of you God, I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you. God, I want more of you, God. Come on. Oh, set a fire down. Oh, yes, God. No place I...